But let's have a word of prayer, and we will get rolling for tonight, all right? Father, we do thank you tonight that as we come to you in prayer, even as we look at next week's lesson being on the issue of prayer, that it is not something we had to wait to do until we got through these doors. It is something we can do all the time. Whether it's driving in the car, whether it's walking into work or out of work, wherever we may be, we thank you that you are available and always ready and delight in our prayers. Uh, that's an amazing thing. And even so, Father, we have this privilege, we have this opportunity, but just like with giving as we look tonight, it's something that we don't avail ourselves of enough because we have other interests, other things that are tugging at us, other things that become more important. As we look at tonight the issue of sharing with one another and what it means to give, that we would see what a joy it is to give, that even though we didn't see the words that Jesus spoke uh, in the Gospels, but recorded by Paul later, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, we know that this is true, and yet we still shortchange ourselves. So give us wisdom as we discuss this issue tonight. May our hearts and minds be encouraged by your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Our usual. I told me it was about 12, so yes. We got everybody here, it's about 17 or 18. Good to see you. If I throw this up here tonight, sharing with one another, and that's not all that, one more thing. All right, if I throw this picture up here, let me do that again because everybody like La La Land throwing this up here. Honestly, if you do, if you do church giving and you do images, you would not believe how many online giving things there are available for churches these days. It's amazing. Um, I mean, I've known of a number of them, but just to see that if you Google or Yahoo church giving and then you click on images looking for it, most of the images on the first page are all different online giving things. So just starting with that thought, what, you know, because this is something the churches are wrestling with. And I was at a church not too long back for a conference and they've got this place outside the doors. You can swipe your credit card to do your offering. You got this online giving thing. What? How does that strike you? And I'm not saying we're looking to implement this, but how does that strike you if community said, hey, someday we're not going to do the dudes down the middle with baskets. We're just going to have a little swipe thing or online giving. How does that hit you? What, what, what do you think of when you think of that? Yes, Carol. Disconnection. Okay, disconnection. Disconnection of what? Disconnection of um, people of, of um, physical hand-on, hands-on relationship. Okay. Okay. Good. What else? What's your other gut reactions to this? Uh, I, I like it. I'm I'm one that's about ten steps behind on technology, but I think that's good. That's keeping up with the times and biblically, biblically, as far as pet, you know, the baskets. There's nothing in the Bible about how exactly mm -hmm. offerings are to be taken. Uh, that you know the mo of it, and so uh, that looks good to me. See, now here's, and I'm going I'm to play devil's advocate. And I'm gonna <coughs> Gene and over to Jenny. Uh, here's here's what people will say. Yeah, because in Matthew six it says not not the right hand or what the left hand's doing. It's not all about our public show. And yes, back at some churches they have either you put your money up front. I mean, I've had churches when I was in China. The people when they gave, they all walked up front and put their money in. Well, I mean, even for me that was a little uncomfortable because like, well, what if you have a Sunday you don't walk up? Then you are you the schmuck sitting back in the back going, hey, what gives? You're not giving, you know. So that could become a show or. Um, people put boxes in the back or they put them at the door so you can just discreetly drop it in on the way out or the way in. Um, so we, you know, probably if I research some of these online giving, they would say, well, that still fits with Matthew 6 because it's still just, it's discreet. It's even more discreet than giving in the church, giving in an offering plate. Okay, Gene, and then over to Jenny. I just want to That's a great, I didn't even think about that. That's great, and that is. That is contributing to the I can do church at home on my pajamas kind of thing, right? Yeah, absolutely, because if it's the convenience of either 
what happened in some of these mega church movements, the drive-through church kind of thing, or just do it at home, this just kind of caters to that even more potentially. Jenny? I'm kind of torn because I see pictures like that, and if I see that on, on a church website, it's really going to turn me off to the church. Just, you know, give us money. It's that give us money, give us money thing. But at the same time, I'm of a generation where I don't carry cash on me. I don't carry my checkbook on me. So to have the convenience of being able to give whenever I want and, and through my favorite medium, my credit card, mm -hmm. uh, that's appealing. Right. But, oh, I hate, that's so tacky. Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, and see, here's, here's where all of us wrestle with it. I mean, honestly, when I look at it, my, my first thought uh, wasn't, I mean, some of these thoughts, but my first thought was when we talk about giving in the church, like Sunday at Community, it is a part of what? It's part of worship, right? We say we're going to worship God through our giving. Okay, but still do it online. You're right. And, and it's like, well, then are you saying that we can't give unless we do the show of having given it on Sunday? Because honestly, I don't give every week. And I'm waiting for a gasp here. Yeah, really? You know, all right, I get, we get paid every couple of weeks, so I write a check. But, you know, some people would feel like, well, you need to write a check every week. Just split it into equal increments so that every week you can give it. And that might fit with 1 Corinthians 16, which we're going to look. It says, lay aside and each week. And I don't necessarily think that, that the text is saying that means you must give every week. What it does mean, at least, is this. Giving is always, always planned ahead. And we may say, well, what about the response of the Spirit in our hearts? Well, that can be sometimes when our special needs, we give to that. But there is the reality that in giving, it is very clear in Scripture, it is not a forced thing, it's a willing thing, but it is also a planned thing. We're going to see that in two different texts tonight. So as I see that, I'm not going to be surprised if more churches go toward that. And honestly, if, if community went toward it, I can guarantee this for sure. I guarantee this unless I'm just totally out to lunch. You would never see it on our website. You're like, well, how would we do it then? Well, when you join the church, then you get a MyCBC account. Then probably that's where we would put it if we ever did that. And I know that it's been discussed, it's been bantered back and forth, and it's like, you know... It's the old adage of we've never done it that way before kind of thing, you know, so nobody wants to go that way and all that kind of thing. So you see this is part of the tension, but that's not the biggest tension we're going to wrestle with tonight. Turn in your, in your books, if you have them, page 10.1. Yes, sir. I, I'm just thinking it could be kind of roughly, not exactly, but roughly compared with, with uh, up on the screen versus in books. Absolutely. And you know, and if you've been around in churches, you know how much stink that caused. If yes. you've been around. I mean, you got guys writing books on the devil-created technology, all right? It was just what it is, I mean. So I'm sure the guys that have written those books are writing sequels, and that's in the sequel, all right? Online giving. It's just what, what's happening. So when we go to page 10.1, sharing with one another, talking about giving, Here's what it says in that, last, in that first paragraph. It says, the last sentence of that first paragraph, Consequently, we miss out on one of the great privileges and opportunities God has afforded to the members of his body. When we think of giving, there are times, if we are all honest, all right, I say all honest, there are times where the idea of privilege and opportunity to give doesn't always come to our mind. Instead, words that can come to our mind is duty, obligation, demand, expectation, I oughta, I should, I must sort of thing, rather than what they're saying here, and they're trying to drive us even in that subtle way, it is a privilege and opportunity because the best, the most powerful scriptures in the New Testament on the subject of giving is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And one of the things, if you were able to look at it, you will see, and this especially, this is where you get burned. If you can have Greek, you can see this, but the word for grace, the word for grace that we have in the New Testament is also translated giving. Well, that word for grace and giving, are, the word for grace is used multiple times in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And it's used interchangeably as the grace of God and the gift of giving. And so, in a sense, what it's trying to drive home to us is 
just as we think of, I would say a third, say a third, Thursday. Yes. Okay, so 22 more days till Christmas. All right, if we had one of those things when our kids were younger, I'd remember how many more days till Christmas. All right, 22 days. We start thinking of gifts, and we don't give gifts because we're obligated or because our kids have earned Christmas gifts, even though maybe they went through this. If you're not good, you're not going to get this stuff, blah, blah, blah. But when we think of our giving in the church, we may think of, yes, it is a privilege and opportunity, but how we handle it, how we handle our lives and our finances sometimes betrays the fact that it's more of an obligation and a responsibility. It is not what second... I mean, here's, here is my Christmas verse for more than 25 years. Back before Caroline got married, back in the day when you used to send Christmas cards. Now nobody sends Christmas cards, you know. The Christmas cards that I would send, I would always put this verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. To me, that explains what Christmas is all about. He left the riches of heaven to come to earth and be born. And we say the manger, we got cute little scenes, but let's just be honest. It was a stinking animal stall. That's what it was. And so he left the riches and made himself poor, not just poor, but humbled in that way to make us rich. And then you got all the crazy TV preachers and everything else going, yeah, this is what God's all talking about. You know, you got uh, uh, Joel Olstein talking with Oprah when she's in his home and asking questions. So you believe God's blessed you because she's walking into this palace of a house. It's like, yeah, I believe that this is what God's all about, you know. And I'm telling you right now, that's not what he envisions. And I, and I do like what Tony Evans, probably the best part of his article that we're going to look at tonight um, is what he says about what that means when it says that God will bless us abundantly. It isn't a heavenly it isn't a heavenly um, what's the word I'm looking for? Investment program. So in other words, you invest this and God gives you a great return on your investment. And that's often thought or preached in terms of financial investment. You give God this, God starts pouring in it in, now you get a Mercedes, now you get a Beamer, now you got a Lamborghini Countach. Life just got great. Alright? That is not it. If anything, what Tony Evans hit on, even though he can be a little bit over in the Yeah, he was the poor preacher, but now he's pretty well a preacher. Um, even though he is saying it, there is a part of what he's saying is saying, you and I part of the benefits isn't that we give and therefore we get more back from God. There are other much better blessings that we get because we give. And one of those is true life satisfaction. Because we will all admit we've seen the stories of, heard the stories of wealthy people, lotto winners who are miserable, wretches, messed up. And they had it all, they lost it all, they got nothing. Um, even when they still kept it all. So here's where I'm going to play a card tonight, right at the very beginning, that I don't think it'll rattle cages, but it might at least raise a couple questions. All right, look under sound bites on page 10.1. I think, for what it's worth, quickly walking through this, I think the best quote in here is the last one. Show me how much someone gives to the Lord, and I'll show you how much they love Him. All right? Because that really squares with 2 Corinthians 8 9. That really is 7 Corinthians chapter 9, I believe verse 15 says, Thanks be unto God for His indescribable gift, speaking of Christ. But rewind all that, talking about giving, that becomes our motivation to give. It is a measuring stick of our genuine love for Christ. We say we love Christ, we say we're devoted to Him, we say we want to know Him, but yet, of all the people that are blessed in the world, uh, we are incredibly blessed in America. And there's a great message by David Platt on his website, Radical, I'm trying to think of the message. It's on Psalm 67. I think it's called The Ultimate Disconnect. Great message. You ever look it up sometime? If you're like, okay, I don't remember what you said, Hal, send me an email. I'll send you the link to it. It's a message on Psalm 67. His point is, in Psalm 67, which is kind of considered one of the Old Testament uh, great commissions, talking about God... We're going to praise all the, all the peoples will praise you. In other words, it isn't just the people of Israel. It's the people of Israel, God's people, who are impacting the nations who ultimately will praise God. But in the first part of the psalm, it says, Lord, bless us. Lord, bless us. And near the end of the psalm, it's Lord, bless us. And the whole point is, 
Yeah, we want to be blessed, which means make us prosperous. But yet David Platt's point in the message was the ultimate disconnect is if we don't read the rest of the psalm, the being blessed isn't so that we have more and can do more and can go more. It's so that in our giving, we can make the name of God known to the nations. That's where we disconnect it. And, and it's a very powerful message. So I love that statement there at the end. Now going back to the first statement under sound bites, it says this, Christians should give at least 10% of their income to the Lord. All right. Now, that being said, as I look around the room, and this is one of those agree or disagree, and you're like, is this a trick question? Where's he going with this? Agree or disagree? And if you notice it said should give, and now it doesn't say must give, so it could have been a little firmer, must give, should give, at least 10% of their income, but it does say at least, all right? Just throwing it out there. Uh, again, I'm letting you, you know, the first question was a little safer that I asked tonight about this. You're like, I don't want to answer that one because I don't know where he's trying to go with this one because I could just get blistered here, all right? Have no fear. Wes, way to go. I disagree because, because that, in the Old Testament, the tithe, Actually, if you averaged it out over a three-year period, it would be 23.33% per year. Mm -hmm. With the tithes, okay, so it's not 10%, it's 23.3%. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing is, is that's not repeated in the New Testament, mm -hmm. and we're not we're not under the law, and that, that part of it, you know, there are things to pick up from the Old Testament, but that, that's, not, that's not one of them. Okay, good, good. Anybody like, hey, I disagree, or hey, I'm all for that. Because some people say, well, good. Then, man, you haven't been telling me this? I don't have to give 10%? I mean, what is up with that, you know? Yes, ma'am. I was raised being told that I should give 15% mm -hmm. of everything that I earned, and I, I did. And I learned as you get older, if you don't have 15%, because if you're like hardly making it, because there was like there was like three years I was like scraping by like in an apartment, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just I gave what I could when I could, and I don't think people get condemned for that. I think that you know the Bible does teach you to give what you can. Correct. Right. The um, where um, that man was talking about how much he's giving and then the woman gave everything that she had. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think there's a specific amount that we have to give. Right, right. Absolutely. And that was Jesus talking about the poor widow and all these rich people were dumping all kinds of money in there. Poor widow puts two mites in and he said Jesus could acknowledge what you don't know is that it didn't look impressive what she put in, but she just put whatever she had left. Now, Jesus wasn't saying the way to follow me is you dump everything that's in your pocket and in your bank account into here, and that's the end of it. But in a sense, he was saying that with our lives. I mean, you're all in. Uh, you're, you're all in, and you're recognizing it's all mine. It's not all yours, all right? Any other thoughts on this 10% thing, all right? Because I'm going to play my card in just a second, a little bit. And you're like, okay, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. Okay, I mean, here's here's the reality. What, what Wes has said, and, and here's... If you, if you put in the word tithe or tenth, you're not going to find the word tenth. But you, oh, you might, maybe some of the newer versions. The only place you're going to find it in the New Testament, I believe it's in Matthew 23. And Jesus, in that passage, is condemning the religious leaders because he said, you even, he's saying to them, you even tithe, give 10% of all your spices. I mean, you guys were just following the every detail of the law. But then he said the more important issues of of doctrine, truth, faith, real faith, you're, you're missing the point on those. You're not even following it on those. And that's the only time the word tenth, 10% is ever mentioned in the New Testament. And Jesus is saying, he says, and this is where most preachers from the past have said, Jesus says, this you ought to have done and not let the other things be undone. So they say, well, because Jesus said you ought to have done this, he is saying the tenth, the 10% carries over the New Testament. 
But I would think that when the church began, and Paul being the one, more than any other writer of the New Testament, giving directions to the church about giving, if 10% was a part of that equation, I would have thought at some point in one of those letters, Paul would at least put a sentence in there going, and yet, by the way, here's the measuring stick. He never said it. What he does say, and we're going to come to the scriptures in a moment because that's where I want to camp out in a minute, he does talk about what I would say is equal sacrifice. Because as I'm going to illustrate in a few minutes, giving 10% for all of us in this church may sound like an equal amount, but that is not an equal sacrifice. It isn't. Okay, and I'll explain that. So we're going to skip Kathy's case study. We're going to move on over here. Matter of fact, I'm going to throw this up. I wasn't sure if I'd have time. Here's just like sorry excuses why people don't give. Here's why I won't give. I'm just going to throw them up there really fast because I don't have time to read them all. Maybe we will. I'll read them fast. It's my money. I earned it. Well, that's just pretty brass, all right, um, or brash. My giving is a private matter between God and me and no one else, all right? Well, that's true in a sense, but that's no cop-out for I don't give, all right? The tithe does not apply to Christians today, only the Old Testament Israel. Therefore, I'm off the hook. Well, yes and no. All right, let's talk about 2 Corinthians 8 9. Christians are under grace, not under the law, so the obligation to give does not apply to me. Well, if you say that in number three, then you have just somehow not read very far into the New Testament because it's talking about giving. The Bible says that each man should give what he's decided his own heart to give, so I'm free to give as much or as little as I choose, even not at all. So I'm guessing the person that would say that would be saying, I ain't giving much. You know, uh, I, I don't really feel all that obligated. So we can go through all these things. And some of them, yeah, some of them can be legit. I mean, here's one that's a challenging one. Number seven, I would like to give, but my spouse does not share my desire to give. What if you are a, a believing wife with an unbelieving husband? All right? That's a tough one. And at that point, you're going to have to follow the leadership of the home because you're not going to be like, I'm taking the money. Now, if you decide to get a job and he says, you can take whatever money you get from your job and give whatever you want to the church, that's fine. <coughs> but that's going to be a tension point. All right, That's a reality one. Here's some other ones I can't give. And this is more where we fit. We don't usually fit in those top ten of I don't give. We fit more in these. Uh, I'm up to my ears in debt. I cannot give now. Um, how many of us have been there or are there or will be there at some point in our life? Yes, ma'am. I'm there now. Okay, yeah. But here's here's the question. If I I do know that if I wait until I get out of debt, Satan will make sure that in some way or another I never get out of debt and I'll never give. You know, that that's part of the challenge. Now, that doesn't say I'm saying that to guilt us into giving. That's one of the tensions we have to wrestle with. It may not be that I'm giving X percentage. I'm just saying, God, I'm doing what I can. Here's others. I have more than I need, but I'm not like I'm not prepared to live like a pauper. In other words, here's somebody who's living the good life and doesn't desire to give a lot. Well, God doesn't say give 50%, or he doesn't say do like the widow and throw it all in. So here's a whole mess of these we can throw up here. And honestly, uh, most of what I see in some of these excuses often are not based on Scripture, but based on, i got to be careful because you're in financial planning, all right? Uh, i got to be careful what I say, because as soon as I start to say it, I'm thinking, okay, be really careful because she does financial planning. All right? Financial planners are hugely helpful people in life. But if, if we buy too much into thinking as a believer in financial planners' mindset and scripture, we can think that I can't live without X lifestyle for my future, and so I keep putting it aside and saying, but God, I need this for my future. And, and so that's part of the tension we face. I mean, here's, and I might have said this before in this class, I can't remember. The two problems with America's giving and China's giving after having lived there. Have I said this before? Uh, no, all I need was a couple of sheds shaking now. All right. The problem with our giving in America is we spend too much. It really is. I mean, if, if, if every person, just for instance, and I'm not a 10%er, but if every person in community gave 10%, you would be shocked at what our regular offerings would be every week. We would all be shocked. Uh, our debt would be paid off, and we'd have money to send uh, probably 10 new missionaries next year. We would, believe it or not. And that's, that's just how low our percentages tend to stay in most churches. But, and I just, 
don't know how many times I do this. I lost my train of thought. Where was I going with that? China. China. The opposite with China is they're great savers. They are the world's best savers. We spend like crazy, whether we have it or not. They save like crazy. So their problem is getting them to let go of their savings because they've lived in poverty. They've lived in difficulty. They've lived in struggle for so many decades that they just view it as, I've got to save, I've got to save. Because what if this happened? What if this crisis come? So that's the tensions we all wrestle with. So if we're going to throw that and grasp any issue, I'm just going to jump right down to this, the issue question, and here's the answer that I throw out to you tonight. If we're going to say, what is the central question or issue, here's what I pulled out wrestling through this uh, before I looked at all the scriptures, but admittedly, because I've studied this before, it, 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 it uh, flavored a part of what I answered. Biblical giving is an opportunity to regularly display our love for Christ and God's grace to his people through the church. Okay, So if you notice a couple things about the way I put it, it is regularly displaying first our love for Christ and displaying God's grace because 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are saying that very clearly and it's regular and it is through the church. Okay, Now, I won't go off on a tangent about parachurch ministries, but I will admit that over the decades, parachurch ministries, as they have grown, have also sucked away a ton of the resources of churches because people are giving to this, 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 and this. At the end of the day, they toss in whatever's left of the church because they're like, you know what, I'm, I'm really passionate about this out there or that out there. And yet, biblically speaking, what I must be passionate about is the church because that is the body of Christ. That it doesn't mean that we should never give to Salvation Army, the dude's ringing the bell, just freezing out there in his thing, throw it in there, you know, warm the guy up, all right? We give, all right? But, honestly... When we're wrestling through it, remember that if we keep giving in those ways without assessing it, we may be pulling away from what God intends to do through community or any other church. And that is, what if we could send 10 more missionaries? As we know that there are many retiring, many coming off the field, many that need to go, and just had a couple in our home, um, or I I met them for lunch that are going to Taiwan, and I was at the missions conference at the beginning of November, and they spent three and a half years raising money to go to Taiwan. And I'm like, man, that's nuts. Three and a half years of your life on the road, doing the road show, trying to raise money to go for missions. It's like, why is that? And part of it is, is this very issue. And that is, either we're not giving as sacrificially, at, and, and we, we, we think sacrifice means, all right, let's just cut to it. That means I got to give up uh, a Starbucks or something else in order to give this. Because just you know, admit it. You know, if you buy whatever latte, I mean, I bought one recently. I'm like, why did I? When I finally thought about it for a second, I had half a brain. I'm like, I just spent as much on that stupid drink as I could have spent on a full meal for my wife and I in China. That's just ridiculous, you know. So yeah, then the guilt is there, and I don't buy it anymore. And I go to Tim Hortons because it's a buck fifty for a coffee. <laughs> All right. All right, but, but there's a step. We're, we're trying to make steps in the right direction, all right? But I say that because, again, that is part of our giving is giving starts with first a love for Christ, but because it's thinking uh, in advance about our giving, that means I have to make changes in my life and in my thinking to be able to do that. Um, and the question is, am I doing that? So I throw it up as... It is, it is an opportunity to display our love for Christ, that I'm not just chucking the check in there and going, thank you, Jesus, and I'll do this again two weeks from now, all right? It certainly better be more than that. It certainly better be more thought going into it of, I'm not just paying down my bill, and someday I'm going to pay down a mortgage just like I'm paying down what I owe Jesus. Because here's the reality. We are not paying Jesus back through our giving. It is not a payback. It will never be a payback. Because we can't pay it back. So if we think it's a payback, and people out there do think it's a payback, then they've misunderstood grace. That's the point of grace. You can't pay it back. It's a gift. Yes, ma'am. I 
Everyone's always taught that money that we give, it wasn't ours in the first place. Mm -hmm. Money in itself, it's God's. God bless us with that. He got us the job. And we work hard. And if you hate your job, you shouldn't because you're working for God to glorify Him. Like when I used to work at the hospital and I hated some days, I would try to remember that I'm not doing this for my boss or for a paycheck. I'm doing this, you know, for God. And it kind of kind of put a spin on when I used to, like, uh, at our old church that we grew up going to. It was hard for me to give when I didn't agree with certain things going on. Mm -hmm. So I always remembered, I'm not doing this for the pastor or, you know, I'm doing this for our church as a whole because we still had missionaries to support. And Which is this right here. I don't agree with how my church spent the money. And that's sometimes what does happen. I mean, those, these are the tensions we wrestle through. And what you just hit on, Janice, is a key one. And that is, at the heart of giving, and in Tony Evans' article, he hits on this, and we'll see what we can get into on it. But we are never really owners of anything. We are simply, and you've heard it before, we are stewards, we are managers. At best, I mean, here's, here's what Tony Evans said. He said it really well. Kind of funny. I won't make a turn there, but here's what he said. Funny way of saying it. He said this. Yes. Well, you got to understand about Tony Evans. Tony Evans, and this is where old people like me, and I may be the only one in the room to remember this. Any of you remember Zig Ziglar? Yes. Right, motivational speaker. All right, Tony Evans is kind of the motivational speaker, kind of preacher. He's got lots of neat stories and can get you just wonked up and you're, you're giving, you don't know why, but you know you got excited and you're giving. All right? He said, and I'm going to find this statement. Where did he say this? Oh, first page. He said, God has given us the responsibility of stewards. And he said it this way. He said it's akin to taking a firm in the Fortune 500 company and turning that over to an elementary dropout and saying, manage this company for me. And what his point is, is this. God has given us everything at our disposal, but we don't know how to handle it. We're like that elementary dropout that's been given a Fortune 500 company and God says, now handle it. And we're like, but man, I can buy candy. I can buy toys. I, I mean, I can own Toys R Us now, all right? And, and that's the whole problem. And so when we're talking about this, that's the issue. Like you're saying, Janice, it is an issue of managing. But first is, quite frankly, not simply managing our money, but managing our heart. So let's look at these texts. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Skip through all these excuses. Go to the next thing, scriptures. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2 on page 10.2. Here's what Paul said as he wrapped up that first letter to the Corinthian church. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. All right, so very simply, and some of you... And, and whenever Carolyn's here, I always like look in her direction. If you did the homework, you got some answers here. But if you didn't, you can probably pull out some quick answers. Our question here was, what principles of financial giving do you find in these two verses? What just jumps off the page from what Paul is saying to this Corinthian church that gives us direction for our giving? giving. Yes, ma'am. Um, to give in keeping with your income. Okay. All right. Very important. All right. And that doesn't mean that, and here's, here's one thing we have to look at from Scripture. What is considered rich according to Scripture? How do we measure rich according to Scripture? Any idea? Okay, here's what Paul at least said to Timothy as he wrapped up his first letter and talked about rich people and talked about contentment. He says, if we have food and clothes, we can be content." <coughs> If we have food and clothes, we can be content. So that doesn't mean that anybody over food and clothes are rich. But I would venture to say we're way beyond food, clothes, houses, and cars. So we, we tend to be in the rich category no matter where we are compared to two-thirds of the world, quite honestly, let alone Jesus' day. 
So again, it is, it is the balance of what Carolyn just said, according to our income, and also thinking through in terms of what is equal sacrifice. I'll come back to that. Any other things from this? There's a bunch of things there. Talks about setting money aside on the first day of every week, so you should put thought into what you're giving. Yeah. Going through your bills and organizing what you have to give. Yeah. Which means you're thinking ahead, which means we don't necessarily do this. We pull out a couple bucks and chuck it in there, or this is just the evil part of human nature. All right, we put a five on the outside of what we throw in with a few singles on the inside, make it look thick, and we chuck it in there. I mean, people have done those types of things. That's those things happen. But the question is, if I'm going to give, do we understand that it is not a, a spur of the moment? There can be opportunities to give like that as needs come up. As we hear of needs in this church, if somebody... Here's the reality. If somebody suddenly has a need and you hear about it, that doesn't necessarily mean that we've got to make an official offering. I mean, if God makes you aware of it and you have the ability to help them, it's a no-brainer. That's not an official goes through the offering when you're like, well, I'm going to get a tax write-off. Big whoop. You know, a tax write-off isn't really what it's all about. And if it is what it's all about, then we've we got another problem to talk about. You know, and that's where is what he's talking about. We're planning ahead, and we're thinking it through, and we are trying to give in a way that displays our love for Christ. Remember, that's our, our point. What else do we see here? Wes? <clears throat> the principle of, of, uh, of uh, setting aside, in other words, I hate to use the word holy, but I mean, in that sense of setting aside, okay, once it's set aside... That's not mine. Mm-hmm. That that oh something comes up and oh you know you know I want to reach back in and get you know it's set aside. It's <coughs> it just went into a place that's not mine. And even though and what I what I get from that is like they had to hold that. I mean Paul was coming, but not for some time. So it, it was held. Mm-hmm. So that's a good point. Those people were holding that money, but they were holding it aside, and they didn't touch it, or at least they weren't supposed to. And then they could give all that money that they had set aside. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, can I, just a curious question. I'll give you a chance to input, I think, Jenny had as well. If you have churches that report their offering every week in their church bulletin, and so let's say, for example, the budget is $6,000 uh, every week, let's say, for example, or five thousand, make, make it an easy number. Five thousand dollars every week, and people see that we're we're getting five thousand five hundred, maybe six thousand. What does that do to people when they see that in the bulletin or the program? What does it do to their giving? Yeah. <coughs> All right. Well, God's good now. We we were hitting our budget, so now we can cut back and start living the good life. All right. And the point is, if you notice, one of the things it says. So that when I come, no collections have to be made. We're saving it up. And now, we, we, I don't necessarily, well, I shouldn't say don't necessarily, I don't take from the Old Testament of Tony Evans will quote from Matthew, or Matthew, Malachi 3 about storehouse giving, put it in the storehouse. He will quote from other Old Testament texts. I don't see that necessarily. We have to put it in and just keep building it up because obviously we're a non-profit organization. We're not here to make a lot of money. But if we do have an abundance, if it is growing, that's not a bad thing. It, it, it then falls back in the leadership's responsibility to make sure we're not just using this money to make buildings look better and make things look cooler at the church like churches are doing. It's more how can we reinvest it back in ministry and ultimately back in gospel-centered ministry. Anything else from these text, that text, those two verses? So we've said it's it's got to be something we plan in advance, we prepare in advance. It should be something that should reflect the reality of our income level, we've said so far. Anything else? Are you going to say something, Troy? Or adding to that? No, probably nothing that's necessarily contribution. I was just wondering from the, like the devil's advocate side, mm-hmm. if you've ever read anything about someone saying, well, this is in light of the apostolic ministry that's going on, that this is something that's not necessarily normal. Like, in, the, in our American context, church 
church operations for our specific pastor. This is for traveling people like the equivalent to our church planners and missionaries. Mm -hmm. Like this would be a special thing for that. This right. isn't like normal everyday giving to fund mm -hmm. our pastor. Yeah, in the building that they probably didn't have that. Yeah, you're right. Well, and and that's where and honestly, when I was when I was in a house church in China, this guy. Uh, his Chinese, his English name was Moses. Go figure. Um, he had been he had started this church a few years, a few years before, but like four years, five years into it, they still weren't giving him or his wife really anything. So he was trying to work and get support from other people, but because a lot of times they don't have the concept of supporting a pastor. Now, do we have scriptural basis for the support for a pastor in the New Testament? All right, yes, absolutely. That is very clear from Paul writing in 1 Timothy 5 that we are to provide for a pastor. That doesn't mean we're to either make him poor or keep him poor or make him rich. All right, we're to provide for his needs. But as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, also 1 Timothy 5, as you have been blessed with what God has given you, part of giving back is providing for those who are teaching you spiritual truths. And, and what I ended up having to do with the Chinese house church was first teach about what giving is, and then answering the question that was asked in the very first week by one of the sisters right after the service was, so we're willing to give, how, do we, how are we supposed to use it in the church? I'm like, well, if that's a great question, stay tuned, come back the next four weeks, because we're going to look at what are the four areas scripturally in the New Testament it must be used for. Part of it is spread of the gospel. Part of it is providing for the church. Part of it is for the ministry. And what does that ministry look like? It looks different in America than it does in China. Because in China, there's not a lot of whole lot, whole lot of overhead with the cost because you're meeting in homes. Uh, you're not paying for buildings and light and dudes to fix the boiler and all this kind of stuff. Um, we're not paying for internet and all those kind of things, which is kind of cool over there because you don't have to spend for all those things. But here's here's the reality, and that's I mean that's a I understand exactly what you're saying because that's I'm not been, suggesting. Like, I know you're not. That's what that's, I'm just wondering if you like in your study that has ever been a theory that someone's or an interpretation someone's tried to spot. You know I can't say that I've read that of recent days, but I've heard something like that a long time back. And you know again, it's part of the do we still live in the apostolic age today? Are can there be apostles today? Well, I, I would. My quick answer to that is no, because one of the qualifications of an apostle is he had to see Jesus Christ. And if you're going to tell me you've seen Jesus Christ, then we have to have another whole conversation here tonight, all right? And privately would be good, all right? Okay, now let's go to the next text. And we won't have time to look at all of it, but we're going to try to go through it, because this really, 2 Corinthians 8, if I could pick any text in the New Testament of chapters, sections to go through on biblical giving, I would take 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, but chapter 8 especially. And I'm just going to read through these verses because I think it, it warrants us reading, and it's something that you have read before, perhaps. And Paul is marveling at the Macedonian churches that had given when they really had no way to give, essentially from a human standpoint. He says, Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. God has given grace to them. God didn't give them money. He gave them grace. But that grace brought about a grace response by them. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So, these were people in poverty, extreme circumstances, they gave, and even beyond what was normal, natural, or quite frankly, comfortable to do because of their discomfort in their life. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So, he has said a ton in those first five verses of chapter 8. These are people who gave not out of their overflow, but these people gave like the, the poor widow. And these people gave not because it was a demand or a command, because Paul's going to say in verse 8, I am not commanding you. I'm not commanding you to do this. 
because he's going to reiterate this at least two or three times in chapters 8 and 9. I am not commanding you to give, because once I command you to give, and you give because I've commanded you, you've missed the point of giving. You've completely missed it. Because giving is not because of a duty per se, it is a response of my love for Jesus Christ. It's a response of grace to grace. Grace giving because of grace given to me. So then he goes on further to say, uh, and I'll just skip through these next couple of verses, going on to verse 8, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And then I quoted verse 9 earlier. What we don't see in this text is, and um, let me pull it up in the verse here. And this is where I, I want to make sure I don't miss this tonight time-wise. In the verses that are not listed here, it goes on. he goes on further to say this. Verse 12 says this, and if you have, you have a Bible, uh, you can follow along. If not, you can just listen as I read it. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Here's, here's where I call talk about equal sacrifice. He says, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now, admittedly, there are times when all of us, if, if we have seen a, a huge need, we've been like, man, I wish I could give more to this, and I'll give X. And, and we look at some wealthy people and think, man, I wish I could be like that person I would give. Maybe. Maybe the reason God didn't give me riches is because I wouldn't do that. I'd be like, yeah, I would do that for you, God, and then I'd go on buying a bunch of stupid things. But it's saying, here's what we're supposed to think. It's accepted according to what we have. God is not looking for you to be somebody giving and then struggling to live with your family. But here's what he says in verse 13. And this is, I think, really a heart of equal sacrifice. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Fairness, I don't like that translation because really the idea is equality equals sacrifice. Fairness sounds like, well, some people are giving, you know, fair just got this sour tone to it. You know, that's not fair sort of thing. But here's a part of what he's saying. The point is, these people gave sacrificially beyond their ability, and it's because of their love for Christ, and I want you to give that way as well. But as you give, it's not a communism mindset, right? There are people that have been saying in the past, Acts chapter 2 was giving a, an early version of communism in the church. The people put all their stuff in, they shared it, and that was communism in, in, in basic, very basic form. And, and then when you get to something like this, it could sound like that as well. That is not the point. The point is simply this. Those people gave as Barnabas sold and gave money, and then Ananias and Sapphira sold and lied about what they gave. The point wasn't that they had to give. Because remember, what did Peter say to Ananias and Sapphira about their property? What could they have done? Did they have to sell the property? No, Peter said, you didn't have to sell this. But when you did sell it and you had the money to give, you lied about what you gave. That was the issue. He said, I'm not saying you have to sell everything and give it all. But when we do give, there's an equal sacrifice. So here, if I had a board to write on, I would write it on a board, but I'll just throw it out there in this way. Let's say, for example, if we go with this 10%, all right, we say 10%. So all of us should give 10%, and we bought into this, we've been taught this, we must give 10%. All right? If you're sitting out there tonight, and you're making $100,000 a year, all right, you do the really quick math. I'm not a math guy, but I can do the quick math on that, all right? $100,000 a year, how much are you giving? 10000 How much are you living on? Okay, 100000 minus 10000 90000 all right? You're living on 90000 Now, you got somebody in the church, though, that's making $25,000 a year, and they give 10% do the math. All right, $2,500. Now what do they got left to live on? $22,500. That's a stretch. All right, now, you say, but that's equal sacrifice. He gave 10%, he gave 10%. But that's not what that text is saying. Equal, 
equal giving, equal sacrifice is not based on a percentage. It's based on how God has blessed you, how God has given to you, which means this. There can be people who, quite frankly, are... are the you know, first word that came in my mind was skin flint. I don't know, cheap, whatever, with God, because quite honestly, we could give more. Um, because we've done either one of two things. We, we've either put together a lavish lifestyle or a really, really comfortable lifestyle, or we're putting, can I say this, Kim, too much into investments for the future. Right? Um, that's where we have to wrestle through all these tensions. All right? But I, I want us to understand that's why... You know, when I was a pastor in Maryland a number of years ago, I, I remember the shock in some people and even deacons going, if you're teaching that we don't have to give 10%, you know what the offerings are going to do? They're going to go down. I say, well, if they understand Scripture, they ought to go up. They ought to go up. If they didn't listen to what I said completely through the text, then they walked away going, he said I don't have to give 10%. I am so happy I am staying at this church because I'm going down to 5% next week, maybe 3 all right? But if they, if they bought into that, it's because they did not follow the scriptures that I preached on 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that said just the opposite, all right? Just the opposite. Now, again, that does not mean that you and I are boxed into a, we must give 10% or 7% or 3% or 20%, all right? That is ultimately, and Paul makes great pains in these texts. He goes to great pains to say, I am not commanding you this is a choice between you and God. It will always be a choice. So some of those excuses are real, realistic life. But some of them are cop-outs for being cheap, for not giving, for not sharing. Because I think, what could we do in 2015 and beyond through Community Bible Church? Not to make, I mean, yes, we want to expand the East Wing and fix that up and do some more things over there. But at the end of the day, if we're looking to make this building be a monument to the greatness of Community Bible Church, we might as well close the doors now, all right? Because that's what buildings have been, a monument to man's spending rather than an honor of God because it's the people doing the work. So when we look at this text, honestly, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9, I'm just going to throw out some quick statements because we're down to the last six and a half minutes. When I, when I read through this, what, and ask the question under 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9, this question, what qualities make the giving of the Macedonian believers such a good example to the Corinthians and to us? Well, one of the things is they willingly gave without being pressured. Um, I know Pastor Ken does not want to do this, and I don't want to do this. You don't want to beat the drum about giving at the church. You keep beating that drum, and it does one of two things, if not both. It, it does something you don't want to do. You don't want to guilt people into giving. You don't want to guilt people into doing anything in the Christian life because if they do it based on guilt, they haven't done it for the right reason. Everything we do is based on love, love for God and love for others. When it's based on guilt, we have a faulty motivation from the get-go. But also, if we have to keep beating the drum, what is it saying about our church? If we have to keep talking about giving, what is that saying to anybody that walks through the door and to us? That's what's most important. So what's that? That's what's most important. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Now, I didn't think of that, but you're right. It can sound like we're all about money. And people come in and go, you know what? I knew it. This is just another one of those churches that's all about money. You're right. Um, what else? That we don't really love that and we don't love each other. Absolutely. Because they just watched us come tooling in some really nice cars, and yet the preacher's up there beating the drum going, give, 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 and we need it, our budget's short, we're not making it, and wow, but they came in in some really nice cars, and some really nice things, and they talked about some really nice vacations they went on. Now, I'm not against nice cars, I'm not against nice vacations, I'm not against a nice home, that doesn't mean we live in mud huts and come in a Yugo. And if you're old enough like me, you know what a Yugo is. The rest of you just Google it, all right? A Yugo is a piece of junk, all right? Car. It's a wonder. And matter of fact, here's how bad it was. Back in the day when Yugos were being sold, Cadillac dealerships were selling Cadillacs and giving away a free Yugo if you bought a Cadillac. That's how bad the car was, all right? It was a really bad car, right? But that's not what we're envisioning here. That's not the picture. It is you and me understanding that there ought to be in 
a growing relationship of love for Christ, a sense of not just oughtness, but I love to do this. This is what we'll do, what Tony Evans, and I'm going to jump ahead to what Tony Evans said, because I think this is where we'll land the plane in the last four minutes. Go to page 10.11, in the far right column of 10.11 in Tony Evans' article, and again, it's not bad. It's one of those motivational kind of articles because that's how Tony Evans is a preacher. He is a Zig Ziglar kind of preacher, all right? And he's talking about withdrawing from the bank of grace results in an increase. And so I was a little skeptical when he starts talking about bank of grace. And then when he gets down in that second paragraph where it says, you've heard some stories, including some from me, about people who put their last dollar in the offering plate and receive a generous payback from God. So when he started going there, I was like, all right, where's he going on this? But the good thing is he went in a good direction. He said, you can count in the next paragraph. You guys see where that is? Uh, next to last paragraph from the bottom right column, huge paragraph, says you can count on the fact that God never forgets the faithful. Every check drawn in the bank of grace results in an increase. Now, here's what the health and wealth gospel guys will say, or ladies, um, is you keep giving to this, uh, and God's going to give you more back. So this is a holy investment club, and it's a really good one because God's got the bank. I mean, he has any bank be hands down. But here's what Tony Evans says, and I think this is what this is what we need to see, that giving because we love Christ may not mean that every bill is paid. I admit, coming back from China, I mean, we've had a lot of medical bills and all that kind of stuff, if I waited until all the bills, and you know, we got a son getting married in 10 days from today, and maybe a daughter next year, and I'm hoping she wants a reception like a McDonald's or something. <laughs> I used to say when my kids were young, let's marry them when they're like three to five and happy meals for everybody, and then we'll tell them they can, get, they can live together when they're 21, all right? But here's what he says. Here's what the increase is, and this is the neat thing, all right? The benefits we get isn't a dollar for dollar or $10 in and we get 100 bucks back because God's got the bank, all right? He goes on to say, sometimes that increase is seen in benefits you can't buy with money, like contentment, like peace, like healthy relationships, like a sense of purpose. And those are just a few that he threw out there. And the reason he's saying that is, as we give to the church, just think in terms of Foster Christmas that we just did. All right? You have no idea how quickly people jumped on with that one and how fast they got done. And maybe it wasn't as fast because I didn't have to deal with all of the details. But there were people saying, I want another child. And can we do their birthday and whatever? Why? Because it was a sense of here's something that provides a, a whatever, it's a purpose or contentment or a satisfaction because here's somebody who we think, when we think of the word foster, immediately what do we think? They don't have a family. They don't have parents. And no gift is going to replace a parent. But this is a step to make them feel loved in the moment. All right? and, and yet, that's what we have to see is our risk is, here is the ultimate risk in the last 30 seconds. Our ultimate risk is, and it's understanding Piper has a great article in this book on Don't Waste Your Life, a chapter on that everything we do is risk. Everything God does is not risk because God knows everything. So walking out the door tonight to get in your car is a risk because I've seen some of the drivers at Community, all right? It's a risk, all right? Okay. He's looking at me when he said that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was looking away from some of the guys. That was the safest thing. Straight ahead. No, I'm just kidding. Poor girl. Um, but, you know, here's, here's the reality. <clears throat> when we give, there is, that, there is that tug of, but I could do this, or I could pay for this, or I could have this, and everything else. And we are giving with the understanding that God knows our needs better than we will ever know our needs. And he will meet them, but here's what i got to be good with. He will meet them in his time and in his way. And there have been times in our marriage when it was like, how are we buying groceries? And I can remember specific times, specific times, when we walked home, or we got home one time, and there were literally three bags of groceries at our door. 
and we hadn't told anybody, or just little things like that, or, or, and we had to see this early on in our marriage, or it could be as simple as the very things we went to the grocery store to buy just happened to be on sale that day. Now, I don't take that as a coincidence. I take that as those things just happen to be on sale because that is another little bitty way that we've got to be alerted to God taking care of our needs. And those needs may be financial, but there may be that that woman who gave everything she had, she walked away with nothing, but she walked away with the greatest sense of purpose and satisfaction, more so than all those richy rich guys that just dumped it all in the bucket because she understood what really giving was, I love God. And for us, it's we love Christ. So that's where we go. That's not a rah-rah to pull out your wallets and give better on Sunday because we're looking at, what, 12 people here tonight? All right? But really, honestly, if we could get people, I mean, Tony Evans in his article from 1994 is saying at that point was the average of Christians in churches is 2.5%. I, I would venture to say if Barna and all these different groups, if they did it again, it's probably not gone up uh, since 1994. Um, but it could, and it should. And if it did, man, what a difference it would make in our lives, in our faith, in our perspective and in what God could do through this church. Father, thank you that you have given us everything. As we admitted early on tonight, as your scripture says very clearly, you own everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We sung songs as a child that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. And yet, as we face the pressures of bills, face the pressures of health issues, face the pressures of unexpected expenses with cars and homes and everything else. We immediately try to scheme how can we fix this, how many more jobs do we need. We so infrequently pray or even assume that if we gave, you'll still take care of us. And yet, Father, help us to take that risk and to depend upon you. There's a fine line we admit between faith and foolishness. Help us to be wise, but yet help us to learn from the Macedonians that their satisfaction, their contentment, their joy is tied to giving beyond their ability. Well, thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Have a good night.